Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining me here today. I wanted to offer a quick little reflection on the gospel for today. So today, as I record this, is the 15th Sunday in Ordinary Time in 2022, and the gospel reading for today is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. So that passage of the Bible covers the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is something that we hear a lot, and it's kind of become... Uh, internalized in our minds just as something that's, you know, it's a story that we've always heard. And I think whenever we have a biblical story that's like that, it can be tempting to just sort of gloss over it and be like, oh, I've heard this one before, and just sort of move on without really letting it sink in. But today there was a new aspect of the parable that kind of stood out to me, something that I had never really thought of before when I was hearing it preached at Mass. And I kind of want to just sort of talk through that. So this parable of the Good Samaritan, what do we think of when we hear this? I think it's important to put it into sort of the original context of who Samaritans were and who the Jews were and kind of their interrelations with one another, but also in light of how the church fathers would have read this parable, because I think that there's something that's important that's easy to miss if we don't kind of take those things into account. So first of all, who are the Samaritans? Well, the Samaritans are a different group, uh, sort of like an ethnic group in the area of the Middle East during Jesus's time. They did not, they kind of were a break off from the main Jewish people and they didn't see eye to eye with the Jews in terms of where worship was properly done to God. And it created a very wide gulf between the Samaritans and the Jews to the point where um, you hear in the par- or the story where Jesus meets the woman at the well. Uh, she even goes so far as asking, like, how is it that you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan woman? You know, like, there's this very sharp, bitter divide between the two groups of people. So I think that's something that's important to kind of realize and and see that it kind of undergirds this whole story and the interactions that we see happening in the parable. Second, um, it's important and interesting to note that a lot of the early church fathers read the parable of the Good Samaritan not necessarily as a story, not solely, rather, as a story of people doing nice things to one another and who who is my neighbor. Like, that's one level of understanding it. Um, the Samaritan going by and taking care of this Jew who's fallen uh, victim to robbers and he's beaten up and left on the side of the road for dead, while the priest and the Levite pass on on the other side. That was one aspect of the parable, certainly, but the church fathers would have read it also in a slightly different way. So at the beginning of the parable, Jesus says, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. There's something that we gloss over that the early church fathers would have pointed out there. So this man who falls victim to robbers, he is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's very monumentally significant in this story. 
Jerusalem is the place where the temple was. That was the place where the Jews regarded right worship to God being given, was this temple in Jerusalem. It was a city of tremendous, tremendous importance to the Jews. On the other hand, Jericho was kind of symbolic of this sort of city of sin and of godlessness. And you see sort of the same thing carried out on, well, with the two on the road to Emmaus. You see them kind of coming down from Jerusalem, going to Jericho. There's a certain undercurrent of leaving that true worship of God, having their face away from God as they sort of go off into this um, less than ideal land, going from the place where right worship is given to God to this place of um, uh, lawlessness, I guess, uh, that's less oriented towards God's plans and towards his mercy. When the church fathers read this, because of that sort of symbolism, they saw this man who falls victim to robbers as all humanity. They viewed it as the first created men who were in the Garden of Eden, with God, walking with him in the evening breeze, and then losing that by the fall. So what happens? The first humans, Adam and Eve, they eat the forbidden fruit to try to gain some level of equality with God, and they fall victim to the trap of the devil. They are stripped of this initial grace that's given to them, and they're cast out from the garden. So this initial grace, this ease with which they related to God, these, this special relationship that they had with him was stripped away from them, and they were left naked on the side of the road, left for dead. Now they will experience bodily death. It really does play into the same way that this parable moves. We see these this person who is left the gates of Jerusalem going to Jericho, and all of a sudden he is what, he's caught by these robbers. He's beaten, stripped, and left for dead. So when we look at this, we really have sort of this image of humanity falling. And then who comes to save him? Not the priest, not the Levite, but rather a Samaritan, an alien, a foreigner, um, somebody who is outside of the community. I think in a certain way we can apply this role to Jesus, who is fully human, yes, but also fully divine. He is like us and yet unlike us as God. God is sort of a... He always draws near to us, but in a certain sense he is a stranger because his ways are not our ways. Um, our thoughts are not his thoughts. So this Jesus comes to save us from our sins to heal us from all of the wounds that we might have, to give us back what we lost in disobedience in the fall. Now, so the Samaritan binds his wounds, pours oil and wine on them, takes him up on his animal, and takes him to the inn to care for him. The part that stood out to me that was unique and that I had never really thought about before is at the end of things, 
So the Samaritan takes him to the inn and cares for him. The next day, he takes out two silver coins and gives them to the innkeeper with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. On my way back. That's an interesting section of this parable. Because we don't hear anything about the innkeeper. We don't hear if if this innkeeper is a Jew or if he's a Samaritan, given the fact that he's a Samaritan giving this man over to this innkeeper. Uh, who knows what kind of dynamics might have been at play. The innkeeper could have been totally on board with that. But on the other hand, here's this dude that walks into your inn and is just like, hey, take care of this person. Here's some money. What's he going to do with that money? I mean, he's just an innkeeper. How does he know how to take care of this person? He, this role has kind of been uh, placed upon him. There's a lot of sort of uncertainty here of who is this person that I'm taking care of? Who is this person that's giving me the money and charging me to take care with this person? I think that as I read it, I read us into the role of the innkeeper as well. God has placed us here in particular circumstances with particular people in our lives. Uh, he's given us particular graces and strengths, but he's also given us particular faults and weaknesses. And he's done the same to the neighbor that we see walking down the street, or the neighbor that works two cubicles over from us, or uh, the neighbor who happens to be our brother, or our mother, or our sister-in-law, or whoever it happens to be. And what we see is God giving us grace no matter where we are. He bestows this upon us in a way that we often don't fully understand, we don't fully see. He places us in these situations that we don't fully understand what it is that we're supposed to be doing, where we are. Uh, we don't necessarily understand who it is that he's placed us with and what it is that he's calling us to. But what we have is the assurance that he has placed us there and that he's charged us with the care of our neighbors. He's given us the grace to take care of our neighbors and given us the charge to make sure that they are well taken care of. I think that it's important for us to remember that when we look at who is our neighbor, our neighbor is anyone who's around us. It's important to take care of our physical neighbors, yes, but in the larger community, and in the larger human family, God has given us everyone to take, in care, to take care of in a certain sense. And it's important to recognize that not only does that charge come from God, but the grace to do so comes from God as well. So when we look at an online community and all of a sudden there's a political argument that happens on Facebook or social media, or there's uh, something that happens that makes us frustrated or impatient or uncertain or worried or anything like that, it's important to remember that even these people online, even the people that we don't necessarily like at work, or even if there's a problem in our home life where something is really frustrating or aggravating to us, we can rest assured that God has put that person, put that situation into our lives and asked us to take care of that situation, to be an instrument of his mercy and an instrument of his healing. And that everyone that we encounter is, in some sense, 
that neighbor that he has charged us with. And even beyond that, it's important to recognize that it is he who hands us the two silver coins and says, take care of this person. Beyond that, what do we have even after that? If you spend more than I've given you, I shall repay you on my way back. What is God asking us to do there? He's asking us to go above and beyond, to give freely of ourselves, to give ridiculously generously, to not have fists clenched, but hands that are open and willing to give, hearts that are open and willing to give, because he promises that he will repay us on his way back. What does it mean to be on his way back? Well, certainly at the either the general judgment or the particular judgment after we die, certainly that will be a certain type of Jesus returning to us in a much more um, physical sense, I suppose. You know, the end of time. Yes, Jesus will be coming back to us. But he also comes back to us very frequently in the Eucharist. When we approach Mass every weekend, Jesus comes back to us and asks, knocks at our door, asks to come in to our hearts and to our minds and to our souls. And indeed, under the roof of our mouth, even, in the form of bread and wine, which becomes his body and blood. But even beyond that, just even as we read scripture and meditate, Jesus says, wherever two or more are gathered, there, I, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus comes back to us to dwell in the soul that has sanctifying grace within it. No matter where it is that we're encountering Jesus, Jesus is coming back to us. And on the way back, he is certain to repay us with the gifts of his grace, his love, and his mercy. We who have received so much grace and love and mercy are then called to give that back with a heart that is generous and a heart that cares for our neighbors. Until next time, stay in the state of grace, and God bless, friends.